Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey everyone, this is Six Degrees with Mike McKenna, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. This episode, I'm joined by former NHL goaltender, outdoor game specialist, Ty Conklin. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate on iTunes, Spotify, and all the streaming channels. You can find me, of course, on all the socials, at Mike McKenna 56 Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are all in full swing. And the only place you should be betting on these sports, you know where to go, betonline.ag. Basketball. Man, I like all the state schools, Mizzou, Wisconsin, Virginia. you got to look for the underdog. Those teams are about mid-pack right now. And keep an eye on TCU. That's an undercover sleeper that I think is going to be coming in hot here in the next couple weeks. Bet Online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. Imagine placing that bet on Real Housewives. Get some intel from your family that watches. Place a bet. Maybe you make a little cash on it. Makes it fun. Bet Online has hundreds of props with real-time odds on almost anything you can imagine. And of course, the online casino. 24 hours, never closes, always open. So head to the website, use your mobile device to sign up today, and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, let's kick it over to the show. Here's Ty Conklin. Ty, it's cool catching up. I'm happy that you came on to do this. First things first, I really want to know why you became a goaltender. What drew you to the position? I think probably started around when I was like five or six. My dad got us down to the rinks. Uh, it was mostly outdoor stuff. Um, and probably year two or three, I somehow talked the coach into letting me play in goal. Um, I'm not sure why. I'm not sure. I don't think my dad, I think my dad had to do over again. He would have really like pushed me into being a forward or something. He would have seen what's coming. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I was, you know, stopping. Um, who was the guy? So, Remind me who the goalie was in the Olympics, Ray LeBlanc. Yes. Ray LeBlanc. I remember Because he had that USA mask with the yeah, eagle on it. ITEC yeah, 961. He a, yeah, he had a huge, huge um, run in the Olympics. I remember watching him and pretending I was him down in the basement with my brother with tennis balls. Got in a game and then the next year kind of just played goalie. And from there on, I was just a goalie. So I probably really started playing goal full time when I was – nine or 10, something like that. And then, you know, you're stuck once, you know, once you get to a certain age. So it's interesting, it's interesting for you that it's like your frame of reference was the USA team. You know, most kids, it's somebody from an NHL team. Do you think being in Alaska maybe kind of affected your mindset and how you viewed the position in the sport? Well, I think it's affected a lot of things. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, I think it's just, that's kind of what I remembered. We didn't, I remember growing up really liking the Chicago Blackhawks, loved Eddie Belfour. Um, but we didn't have like uh like you grew up in St. Louis. You didn't have I didn't have a like the St. Louis Blues in my backyard. Right. No hometown I team. Don't have the Maple Leafs or the Canadians, you know, in my backyard or that you're like rooting for. So I don't know that I, I never really, to be honest, never really had a team. So I never really had I never had like these, frankly, I never had these big aspirations of playing in the NHL either. Um ever, to be honest, you know, it wasn't like, you know, some kid growing up in, in Metro Toronto is like, you know, he's playing in the NHL for sure. hundred percent. Oh yeah. And their he parents know it. That's it. They, yeah. yeah. So, they, um, so I didn't have that, but, um, and maybe that helped me. I'm not sure. 
So it made everything gravy down the road. I mean, did you even have an eye on college hockey? Because that's one thing you did have in Alaska. You had Fairbanks with the team. Alaska, Anchorage had a team. Did at least kind of give you something to shoot for by the time you went to Shattuck, St. Mary's, and moving on to UNH? Yeah, yeah, I definitely. So watching UAA when I was a kid, and, and I think the program actually is, I'm not sure if the program's even around anymore. I think it's kind of done. But um, it was huge. It was like an impossible ticket to get to go to a UAA hockey game. And they were independent. So they had, um, you know, like Minnesota would come up. North Dakota would come up. The place was packed. They had really good teams. Um, so I knew college hockey. College hockey was like what I wanted to do for sure. Um, and then going obviously down to Shattuck after my, for my junior year. And then continuing on playing junior hockey was all kind of with an eye towards getting a division one scholarship, really. What point in your life did you learn how to fly? I mean, that's, I can't believe that you've been a pilot your whole career, but I don't know when that actually started for you, man. Like you, you used to fly into summer training camps, but I'm thinking. I only like, did that for a year or two. Okay. But it, for a year or two, I did that. Yeah. But growing up in Alaska, that's a normal thing, right? Everybody's got a bush plane. You go hop yeah. from place to place. Yeah, so I live I live right around the corner from Lakehood, which is um, and it's not just a big seaplane base, but it's you know there's all every lot of you know it's like having a boat out here. I live on the East Coast now. It's like having a boat out here, um, and I'd always yeah for two or three summers I worked for a flying fishing service. You know, they they, they, uh, um, they flew into different fish camps. They did a bunch of um, uh, sightseeing tours and stuff like that. So I was always around planes. I just liked them. Um, I got my pilot's license. Actually, I think I got my pilot's license the year of the lockout. Was that 2004? Yeah. Uh, I finished it up and I, got, I had a plane a couple of years, a year and a half later, maybe a little super cub. <laughs> loved it, man. You should have seen me. I remember flying. I do remember flying into, um, into uh, Pennsylvania to skate in the summers. Cause you and I would, we'd usually run into each other. Skate yeah. With Chris Economo's place. But, um, I'd stay out there for a week and I'd always catch you either at the end of when you were in there or, or I was, you know, I was uh, leaving or whatever, but, um, I'd go out there two or three times a summer. Um, and it was always, uh, I do remember trying to get Chris into the plane and I, <laughs> there, he was not excited about it at all. Not excited. <laughs> Does it make you nervous to be behind the stick? Like, I, I don't have any reference of flying a plane. I mean, to Not me, that's a foreign thing. No, it's all, it's great. Which is strange coming from St. Louis too, because St. Louis has got a great aviation history, obviously. Right. But um, I mean, I mean, there's, there's a, where I kept my plane in uh creep core down there in the river Valley. It's it, the place right. is awesome. Yeah. But um, no, I, I mean, it's, you know, you have, they have, it has its moments where it can get a little sporty, but you know, you try and that's not the way it's supposed to be. That's wild. So you still have a plane now? I do not. No, no. Oh, bummer. <laughs> it, just, it didn't fly enough. And yeah, that's expensive. But you know what? Frankly, I don't even miss it. I'm sure there's one day where I'll, the, the, the bug will bite me again, but it, that's not right now. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go back. So go to Shattuck, go to Green Bay, go to UNH. You said there wasn't any frame of reference for the NHL. But at some point it had to click that, you know what, I'm probably on people's radar. Did that happen by the USHL? Was it at UNH? When no, did you yeah, start to get that? That was when I was at UNH. Um, and I definitely didn't think it in, in 
in, I actually remember having a conversation with my junior coach, Don Granado. I, I think we were like, he was going on a, on a scouting trip, like 30 or 45 minutes away. And I didn't have anything to do that day. So I'm like, well, I'll just go with you. And we're chatting and I'm asking him, he's talking about the draft and about the NHL. And I'm like, coach, how, how many guys are going to play in the NHL? I mean, nobody's going to play in the NHL. He's like, well, you know, like there's a chance somebody in this league is going to play in the NHL or a couple guys, like guys leave, they have to be replaced by other guys. You know, they get just the way it works, which is completely obvious, I, I suppose. But, you know, you don't think about it like that when you're that age and you're just kind of focused on getting a college scholarship at that point. But I guess when I, I remember kind of looking around when I was probably after my sophomore year in college thinking, you know what, I'm probably about as good as most of the guys in college yeah, uh, or, you know, a good chunk of them anyway. And you're on a good team, which helps you're winning games. You've got some yeah, juice yeah, behind yeah. you. Yeah, and, and UNH was, a, the program was really, really strong. We're playing, you know, playing in a, you know, NCAA final fours and yeah, uh, we had just lost the, the, the national championship game in overtime. So it, I, I didn't necessarily like, you know, I'm definitely playing in the NHL, but it looked and I said, well, I, I might have a future playing after whatever level that is. I'm not sure, but um, that I'd be able to play after. I, I was pretty sure of that. Was it a big shock going to that enormous ice at UNH or did you have experience? That's the biggest sheet of ice I think I've ever skated on. And then of course, when you get scored on, they throw the fish at you. Yeah. Well, they didn't throw the fish at me. No, you you were on the right team. I like throwing the fish at me, but um, no, you know, I got really used to it. Um, We had an Olympics, at least one Olympic size uh, rink, maybe two in Anchorage in um, the Sullivan Arena's Olympic size. Where I played there against uh, Anchorage or Alaska Aces in the ECHL. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that's big. It doesn't feel as big necessarily as the Whitmore Center. Um. But no, you get used to it. It's the the sheet you skate on every day. You know, it, it was, it, it, I don't know the, how much it helps when you're going and playing like in the playoffs and, and all that, you know, you're playing it, you know, a big game and bought at, you know, playing Boston university or playing BC down there or going up to Maine and playing up there. It's a whole different ice surface. And you know, you there, you can tell that it's tough for guys to kind of catch up to the speed. Yeah. The speed is different, but the big sheet didn't bother me at all. I mean, it's it's all the same for a goalie, to be honest with you. I mean, the shots are usually coming from that same close proximity. They're not chucking them at you from way out on the boards no. on an Olympic sheet. No, no. Shot from the point. If shot from the point goes in without a screen, you need to get a new goalie. You're not playing the next game. <laughs> <laughs> well, what made you choose Edmonton when you got done with UNH? Because you were undrafted. I'm sure you had some options. Yeah, I did. I did. It seemed like the best fit at the time, I guess. Um, um a lot of different reasons. Um, but yeah, it was, you know, it was a, it was a, yeah, it had, it had a, a lot of highs, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of times that were difficult to in Edmonton. I think that would have been the same for everywhere. I think that's kind of like everybody's career or most guys career is, you know, you got some really good, good parts and you got some parts that are more difficult to get than are, and more challenging that you have to work through. Um, and that was certainly, that was the case for me in Edmonton, but it was a great start for sure. Good place to go in Hamilton, too. I mean, I know you, you got games with Edmonton that first year, and I, I do want to ask about your welcome to the NHL moment, but, but even before that, going to Hamilton, playing for Claude Julien, a good transition to pro hockey? 
I felt so. Yeah. I, I really liked Claude as coach. Um, he was not, he was, he was, he was, he was hard. He was tough, but he was very, very fair from my perspective anyway. Um, and yeah, we, we had good teams again in Hamilton. Um, especially well, both years, my second year, we were a, we were a split affiliation with Montreal and we ended up losing in game seven in the Calder, Calder cup finals. So, um, and I think we lost in the conference finals my first year. So we had really good teams, um, close teams, um, good guys. And Hamilton's a sneaky, fun town. Uh, it, we, we, you know, it was a good spot to play for sure. Isn't it funny how, like, you think about guys that didn't get the right break or the right luck through their career. If you go to a bad team at the start of your career, especially as a goalie, if you go 10 and 20, you might get buried. And it might not even be your own fault. You know, like you had to go through the muck where you had a couple other goalies, you had a split affiliation and you were still able to bust out of it. So what was your welcome to the NHL moment with the Edmonton Oilers? Yeah. Well, I think that a couple parts of that question. I think that um, when you talk about opportunity, you know, I mean, you need to have that opportunity or most guys do anyway. I mean, there are some guys who are so skilled and so much better than everybody else. And so clearly deserving that they almost don't even need the opportunity. (laughs) They can make it themselves. That was not me. That was not me either. And there's a lot of guys and, you know, there's a, there's a a point where you have to get that opportunity. You have to take advantage of it and you have to play well. Um, And you have to be prepared when it does come because there's, it it can come at any time. I know I, uh, I was up, I played a little bit in, I played probably three or four games that year. um, My first year. And it was right away. It was, you know, I was not ready. I thought I was ready. And I actually played well, won a couple of games. Um, I played well in all, I think, three or four games I was in. But I mean, looking back now, I'm like, I wasn't even close to being ready. Um, Knowing what you now know now, right? You're thinking, right, what if right. I, and then when yeah. I got sent down, I'm like, I can't believe I'm getting sent down. <laughs> <laughs> Who was your first game against? My first start was against uh, Florida, Florida Panthers. We ended up winning 6-2, I think, something like that. Yeah, I, was, I could not have been more nervous. <laughs> what, what made you nervous about a game? Was it just the overall, uh, everything was, going on? Or I was always nervous. I was nervous for every game. It didn't matter what game it was. Um, that one in particular, your first NHL start and at home, I think it was a Hockey Night in Canada game, which I really didn't have any frame of reference for how important Hockey Night in Canada was or how kind of a, it was kind of a big deal. I didn't either. I got absolutely lit up on hockey night in Canada and everybody's like, you were on TV. I'm like, yeah, I know. So uh, any, any event, um, yeah, it was against Florida. I, we, 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 we were the better team all game, but we should have won that game. Um, we did. So I felt like I did my job and yeah, my, my dad and brother and, uh, well, she was my uh, girlfriend at the time, but wife now. They, they all made it down for the game. I think they were in uh, Montana at the time. My dad and brother were, so it wasn't too far of a drive. I think they mixed in some skiing after the game, and yeah, it was good. <laughs> so you talked about going to a Calder Cup run with Hamilton. Uh, did you know at that point you're probably going to end up in Edmonton the following season after getting all those games and playoffs, carrying the load? And Did you feel like you had the momentum behind you at that point going into camp in 2003? Yeah, I had a one-way contract too the following year. <laughs> There's your, there it is. There's what helps. That helped. Um, but yeah, I felt like after that year, just from a playing standpoint, I felt like I was, I felt like I was ready. 
it's, it's funny how like some guys feel like they're ready right away and then they learn and others feel like they take forever. And I talked to Peter Budai a couple of weeks ago and he was like, yeah, I'm really happy. I played those years in the minors. Cause I knew I was ready. Like, yeah, yeah. it's like, well, wow, man. Like he knew he was ready after he played the two or three years. Yes. Like, so he actually felt like when he really showed up full time and made the team out of camp, I think that's like, I never had that chance. Like I never made a team out of camp, you know, like yeah. when they, when they tell you to get your own place in the NHL, is that really kind of where you're like, all right, it's go time. I've done this, put the hammer down. Yeah, I suppose so. I mean, it certainly should be. So I played that first year and found a place right away. I think they told me to get a plum. Sure. They told me to get a place. I, I don't imagine that I would have gone and tried to find a place without them telling me to get a place. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, um, and then I had to, you know, I had, uh, we had the lockout and I had a very poor year the following year. I had to work my way back to the NHL from the American league. And um, so that wasn't easy, but I mean, it's, 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 it's interesting that Peter would say that because it's the right way to look at it. Right. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's not, it, it's the way I saw it, but I don't think I necessarily thought of it that way at that time. Like I didn't, I wasn't like, I was happy to have played in Hamilton for two years because it was a great experience. It's fun. I didn't necessarily look at it. Like I'm glad I played there because I put the work in and now I know I'm ready. Cause I didn't, I mean, I still didn't even know. I thought I was, but um, I wasn't looking at it that way necessarily. I don't know if I'm explaining it well, but um, I think if you look back, there's very few guys that don't need two or three years in the American. Yeah, I agree. I already because it's just the, the expectation and the, you know, having to be at your best every day um, is it's so important. And, you know, having those, those ups and downs that you get in the American league and it's a difficult league to play in. Oh, it's chaotic. Yeah. In a lot of ways, it's so harder than the NHL. Yeah. You know, you, you, you play on a Friday night, you bust somewhere, you get in at three in the morning, you play it on Saturday. You don't even know where you're at on Sunday. No, nope. <laughs> you're delirious. <laughs> yeah. You're exhausted. And you know, you have, you're still expected to perform. Yeah. Whereas, you know, in the NHL, you first class somewhere, you know, the travels a piece of cake comparatively. And you're, you know, it, it's just more difficult. There's more hurdles, I believe, in the American League. Um, so if you can perform there, you should be able to perform in the NHL. Did you think the lockout hurt your momentum? Oh, yeah. Big time. But, well, I made a bad decision of not playing right away the whole lockout. Um, I should have absolutely 100% played the entire thing. I thought we were going to play, personally. So, um, But... Uh, I should have gone to Europe right away. I ended up going to Europe in January, but I should have been there all year. I, I mean, I, I still regret not doing that. If I had it to do over, that's the one thing I would have really changed in my career is that. It's interesting how some guys had different perspectives on it. You know, I've talked to some that thought we were going to play. Others thought no chance. And man, it just feels like the union was all over the place and not really streamlining things. Were you very involved in the process or were you just kind of relying on what you'd heard? I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't very involved. I I was a new guy in the league. Uh, I, I didn't know that I felt that it was my place to be overly involved either. Right. I would, um, so, and it was, I mean, it was just, uh, the way I see those things, it's really difficult, especially in something like that when you've got 30 billionaires or, or very successful businessmen make a decision on what they want, you know, from a business perspective. 
that you're, it's going to be difficult for 750 professional athletes, you know, who have no business. Not many of them at least have a business background. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and like we're being, it's, it's difficult to to win that battle. I think sometimes, um, but it, it seems like it works out for the players pretty well every time. Uh, we've made a lot of money, like yeah. not my, I wouldn't say me personally, yeah. but like either, but. in general, I mean, yeah. players have made a lot of money off of this. Sometimes you have to realize what is in front yeah. of you and take the deal you get sometimes, but yeah, I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not, I don't necessarily want to dive into that stuff, but yeah, it's just, it was from a, a, a I thought we were going to play. Yeah. I really was, I thought it would be like a couple month thing. Um, you know, maybe I was just being naive, but um, yeah. But I, yeah, if I had to do over again, I would have played that year for sure. Something about your career that people obviously cling to, the goal against in the playoffs 2006 mm. with the Oilers, miscommunication behind the net, puck gets scored. When, what point did you enter that game? Because it was Mark and Henry goalie partner at the time or Rollison? So, yeah, Roley was Roley is like going to – he was playing amazing, probably going to be – He was tumble. lights out. Yeah. yeah. Game one, we're up – it was tied 4-4. We had been up like three or four, nothing. I right. think it's m- late in the third period, five minutes left in the third, eight minutes. I don't even know how long roll. There was a kind of like a collision roll. He hurt his knee. I went in and did they score in overtime? They didn't score in overtime. That wasn't an overtime goal. That was like, I can't even a- remember. No, it was like with, I, I've honestly never watched. I have watched the replay just like in passing, but I've never really sat down and watched it. Really? Uh, oh yeah. What's well, I don't know. What's I know what happened. Sure. Um, well, what did but, happen exactly? Because people like to scapegoat you, and I've defended you on this for years. Well, game one, so you can't really like. It's not like it was the series, right? right it was a tied game. Yeah. But I will say, I thought I made a. I thought it was the right play to make. Roley didn't handle the puck quite as much. I did. He would still flip the stick over. Right. right. And. And, and you could rip it. And I mean, I guess if I could do it over again, I would have put it up off the glass and just like seen what happened. But I, I think I, uh, my defenseman, uh, Jason Smith was coming to me to get the puck. And I kind of just put it through his legs. Right. If I remember correct, I think that's yeah. exactly. Well, it and, looked like, it looked like he didn't say anything to you. It looked like he didn't say, leave it, play it. Loud, anything. He might've, he I'm not sure. I mean, I, I right. just, I just kind of like backhand pass. It may not even have been the right play to make, but in any event, yeah, it was not, not my, not my, it wasn't awesome. I was, it wasn't a great feeling, but um, I'm not sure that that was necessarily the, I I didn't feel good about it for sure, but um, it was game one and it was, yeah, I I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily love talking about it, but people will always look at the goaltender for the easy excuse. Yeah. I mean, they can people out on the outside, you know, it's funny though, right. that um, I, I think that um, in a lot of ways, goalies get, um, get a free pass. And a lot of times they shouldn't too, you know, I mean, I think how many times that a goalie let a bad goal up and everybody comes over and taps them on the pads, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, goalies are allowed to make mistakes just like everybody else. And they do make mistakes just like everybody else. They live in a bad goal or whatever they do. Um, just like a guy will make a bad pass up the middle or, you know, a, a giveaway on the boards. You know, we all make mistakes. Yeah. Uh, 
I don't know that you have to necessarily um, kind of like brush over goalies mistakes either. You it's know? part of being a teammate though, too. Yeah. Like it's, I always thought that the goalies get a lot more credit than they deserve a lot too. You yeah. know, you can face 20 shots and you allowed two junkers at the start of the game, but you have a great third period and you're the hero. Right. Well, you still allowed two junkers at the beginning of the game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. It's, yeah, it's a, um, I don't know, feast or famine a little bit in goal, but I, I think we learn as goalies. I think we learn, and you know, this just as well as I do. We learn that pretty quickly that that's just the case. That's the yeah. way it is. Right. And uh, learn to live with that stuff. This was about the same time frame that you saved my career for the first time. I'm not sure how I did that. You said that. So we're sitting at Chris Economo's place. You've flown in mm-hmm. and you're skating with him. We're sitting on the couch and you've got a just a dirty white t-shirt on. Like this is how vividly I remember this. And it's after my first year pro, which was 2005, six. And I'd led the ECHL and just about everything. I'd been called up to Norfolk on a PTO for a month and a half. And my agent at the time who I'd had as an advisor since I was like 15, like he was a pretty big dog. Um, but when Nashville didn't sign me coming out of college, you know, he kind of went hands off on it. And after that year in the coast, like I played that well, he told me basically, yeah, if, if somebody wants you, they're going to come, they're going to come find us. They'll, they'll get in touch with us. And I remember saying that to you and you look me square in the eye and you go, you need to fire that fucking guy. Like right now, like that was your response, like clear as day. And I did. <laughs> so I, I went back and I thought on it. And I think about five days later, I called up this multimillionaire agent and I'm making 450 a week in the coast. And I said, I think, uh, I think we need to part ways, but that was the best at that time. It was probably the best decision I'd ever made because the person I ended up with after that, Elaine Waugh yeah. got me jobs all throughout my career that I don't know if somebody who hadn't been willing to really work would have gotten me. Yeah. So, so thank you. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know if I did anything. I, I did the, I said the easy thing. The difficult thing is, is you told of, me what nobody else had told me. Nobody yeah, in the game had told me that making that, making that decision to call the guy though. That's not an easy conversation to have a oh. necessarily know if you're making the right decision. Um, I was lucky by guy, the agent I, I had my entire career, Kurt Overhart was, I mean, he worked, he worked extremely hard. Sometimes you could almost, argue too hard but um but he knew he's always he always had your back which is what you want from anybody and i think that most guys that have um you know relationships whether it's your agent or teammate their guys are going to work for them find that about goalie coaches as well you need them in your corner you have to have them in your corner yeah i mean you also have to have guys who will tell you the truth right but um yeah i mean like we were talking earlier i've got like theories on coaching uh, just because I've done it too. You know, you either have a guy who's maybe they're usually younger guys who are very um, uh, good at teaching the structure of the game, the technical know, aspects, technical aspects of the game. Uh, but maybe they have a little, some hockey. A lot of times they don't have a ton of experience necessary playing. Uh, and then you've got a guy who is, and they're generally an older guy. Maybe they played a lot. Uh, they've got a lot of playing experience. They don't necessarily have that ability to really teach the game from a technical standpoint. And then there's not all that, you know, the guys that can like um, can mix the two, you know, those guys are, they're tough to find. They're not always the best. I mean, for me, there were times where I needed a technical guy. 
a young, you know, young or old, I guess the age doesn't really matter, but a technical guy who is really going to, you know, drive home the technical aspects of the game. And there are times where I just, I really just needed somebody to talk to who had experience, knew exactly <clears throat> what I was going through and they, they'd been through it a couple of times. Um, you know, just to, you know, you can see what's going on when, in a guy's head if he's struggling or you can see if a guy's getting tired and he's getting lazy and playing a certain way. And you can also tell when a guy is like not being honest with himself that, you know, he's thinks he's, he tells everybody he's playing okay and he feels good. And then you can tell that he's not playing well. He's not, he's not himself for whatever reason. And you can be honest with him and especially guys that played can be honest and have those conversations too. And they, and you know, they're really helpful a lot of times. Do you think it's important for goalies to be able to kind of mold their mindset to the goalie coach that they have too, like two way street? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, I, I would say it's probably, yeah, I would say it's probably more important certainly for the goalie coach to, I mean, to move towards the, the, the player themselves more. Uh, but yeah, I think that like, <clears throat> it's certainly helpful for the goalie if he can see that there's a guy who maybe he's not, not jiving with for whatever reason and see that he, if he moves himself a little bit to that guy, understand that that guy's just trying to help that there can be some com common ground for sure. Lots more with Ty Conklin coming, but hey, sneakerheads, I know you're out there. I want to give a brief moment to talk about our newest sponsor, eBay. Whether rare dead stock or the latest release, find the exact shoe you're looking for. Pre-owned, rare, vintage, retro, all available on eBay, just a couple clicks away. As the original sneaker marketplace, eBay's a place to go to find the pair that you've been eyeing. With eBay's authenticity guarantee, your sneakers are meticulously inspected by independent professional authenticators. A team of experienced sneaker authenticators verify the box, logo stitching, dozens of other inspection points. These things are the real deal. Each sneaker also receives an authenticity guarantee tag that includes a digital stamp of authenticity. You know you're getting the real thing. And it also protects sellers with a verified return process. And for sneaker sellers out there, eBay has eliminated the selling fees on sneakers $100 and up, making it free to sell or flip your collection. So go to ebay.com sneakers today. eBay, the world's best destination for discovering great value and unique selection. Also like to tell you about the goalie coaching that I've been doing online with 44visionhockey.com. It's awesome. Got a couple of kids now that have really made some strides, and the way it's working is that they upload their games through Live Barn, through Hockey TV. We get them to a program called Instat where I'm able to take all their clips, break them down, draw circles and arrows and descriptions uh, all over them. We upload those little videos, those little clips, to their own player page on the 44visionhockey.com website. Each player gets their own page. I've got the login that I can add these videos. They're like Cliff's notes. You look back at those, they're your reference points for what you need to do to improve your game. Where we really hone in on it, it's in a Zoom meeting. We get together, we pick a time, it's on your schedule that works for both of us. We go over all your game clips, what you could do better, what you're doing really well. Look at it through a pro's eyes, through my own experience, from what I've learned playing, working with different goalie coaches all across the NHL. So go to 44visionhockey.com, put my name in as your coach. I'd love to work with you. And now more with Ty Conklin. So what was the road back to the NHL like? It didn't last long. I mean, it was more or less a year, year and a half going through the American Hockey League. Yeah. But, you know, how, how did you really fight your way back and, and end up with that that gig in Pittsburgh in 07-8? Uh, I... I uh... So I played for, I played with, I was in, I started my, I'm trying to remember years. 
played five years in Edmonton's organization. And then so it would have been 2005, six, maybe. Yep. I was in, uh, I signed with Columbus and I started the year in Syracuse and played all right there. We didn't have, we didn't have that great of a team. We struggled a little bit, um, but I'm trying to remember how it worked in Sear in Columbus. I think there were some injuries in Columbus. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember who the goalie was. There's a young French kid and I'm blanking on his name. He was a high draft pick. Pascal Leclerc. Yeah. yeah. He had every injury you could possibly yeah. have. Yeah. Which for a, 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 you know, a middle-aged guy trying to make it back to NHL, you know, no offense to Pascal, but you know, maybe it helped me a little bit. Right. I got back up there and I was still a backup goalie and didn't play much. Um, but it kind of got me moving around, got me, you know, back up in the NHL and I'm getting traded at the deadline to Buffalo who traded, um, Marty Baron to Philly, I think. So I was the Ryan, right time frame. Yeah. At that time I was Ryan Miller's backup and was with them through the conference finals, lost in the conference finals. And then in the summer signed with Pittsburgh. And then uh, from there, started the year in Wilkes-Barre. Really, actually, we had a great time in Wilkes-Barre. We had a decent team. Um, they were Rich- always good back then. They always put a good American League team out. Yeah, Todd Richards was our coach. Um, I, I mean, I was having a really good time. Uh, Flurry got hurt. I don't know if it was in late October, early November, what it was. I went up, and then I was up for the rest of the year. And then um, ended up signing with Detroit after that and kind of bounced around. But it was – you know, I, I ended up in two pretty good spots. Certainly uh, uh, Pittsburgh was a really good spot. Um, and it was a young team. Um, again, there was an injury that, you know, kind of gave me the, a chance to get up back up to the NHL. But a lot of it was I, I had been playing a lot of hockey, too, in the American League. You know, I was playing almost every night. Yeah, you're in the groove, right? Right. And, and that's important, too, because, you know – as I, you know, as my career kind of towards the end of it, I wasn't playing a lot. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's tough to stay sharp and found that, um, even going back to the minors, you know, which I did my last year in Detroit for probably eight or 10 games. Some like it might've been a little bit more than that, uh, was helpful. I played well when I came back. So, um, but yeah, I was, I was lucky. I'd play a lot of hockey and I, you know, was fortunate to get opportunities to get back up and, and play some more. You rattled off a couple of names, Ryan Miller, Marc-Andre Fleury. You've had some pretty awesome goalie partners that, I mean, yeah. looking at that way, I mean, one, what makes a really good goalie partner? And two, some of your favorites throughout your career. Um, Boy, you could probably do this list just as well as I could, but um, you know, I, I, I think that, I see. So I, most of my career, I was the one who needed to, I, I was a backup goalie, my career, you know, where I had stints where I'd play more, but by and large, basically I was just a backup goalie all my career. Um, so I kind of had to be a good teammate, you know, and being a good teammate is it's different. I think when you're a backup goalie for a guy who's clearly a starter. So I'll take like uh, me and Yaroslav Halak as an example. Um, you know, like I'm there to push Yarrow. I was there to push Yarrow, but I wasn't necessarily there, you know, like you want to like fight for time, but there's a big difference between fighting for time and then 
trying to steal the guy's job. Yeah. You know, you, it, it, that would, you know, taking a job over happens in sports all the time, but it felt like, um, you know, my job was to be a good teammate to Yarrow or be a good teammate to whoever I was backing up at the time, Ryan Miller, right? I'm not trying there to, with the intention of taking Ryan Miller's job. Nobody was going to do that at that time anyway. So yeah. um, being a good teammate, you know, like being ready, you know, to go in if the game got to like four nothing or five nothing, you know, and he needed a break, get, you know, get in there and maybe give him a night off or uh, whatever it is to be a good teammate. I don't know. It's um, so that, that was kind of like, that's what I thought being a good partner was. Um, and then you would expect the same thing back, you know, when you're playing, you expect a guy to be in your corner and, you know, be a good teammate. I had a lot of really good goalie partners, you know, um, Jimmy Howard in Detroit was really fun. Uh, between Jimmy and Jimmy Bedard, who was our goalie. <laughs> like, you guys, there's no way you didn't have fun. Trying to keep those two. Oh, God. They were, they, they, we, had, we had some good times. Well, and then you had uh, Osgood in the mix a little Ozzie, bit, right? Uh, Ozzy is like, is his own unique animal. It's like, it's, <laughs> those guys, those guys are great. They're great. And, you know, they're, 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 true professionals. Right. But they're really, you know, they're just good down to earth guys, all three of them. Um, Chris Mason in St. Louis, amazing guy, amazing guy. Um, you know, I had a lot of, I, I really like Fleur, uh, flower. Yeah. Um, he said the same thing about you. Yeah. He's such a good guy. I mean, he's just such a, like, just a sweetheart, you know, just a, such a nice guy. Um, yeah. You know, I don't, I don't, I never had, frankly, it would be, uh, I never had a, a partner I just did not like that I can think of that I did not like. Yep. Um, enjoyed everybody. UC Markin was an awesome guy. Well, he's Finnish. Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, but he wasn't like that. Tip. Yeah. He, he was, he was, um, yeah, he was good dude. I like UC. Well, ironically, your your NHL fight was against a Finn, Pazzi Nurmanen. Yeah. Geez, How did that, that even happen? So Byron Defoe started the game. It's against the Atlanta Thrashers. Byron Defoe started the game. And we'd gone up probably, I can't even remember what the score was. Enough where Byron got hurt. That's what it was. Byron got hurt in the second or third period. I think he got hurt at the second pass he came in in the third. And we went up four to one or something. It was kind of late in the game. And they put out the big guys. And we had, I mean, Jesus, we had George on the ice, LaRock. Oh. A handful for any two guys. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we like, we didn't have like little guys in the ice either. And it just, it turned into a line brawl. And um, we ended up meeting up at center ice. So frankly, I broke my hand. I had been playing pretty well at that point. And uh, um, had started to play more games and ended up breaking my hand and missing like three or four weeks. You break it on his face? No, not on his face, in the top of his head, I think. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> yeah, it was it was it, I, yeah. It, it, but hey, it was, you know, it, it happens and just, you know. I mean, you're I've never considered you to be a small guy, and to be honest with you, in your presence, you, you make me a little nervous because I think you got crazy man, crazy old man strength, and you always <laughs> have. I mean, you were one of the stronger goalies I can remember skating with powerful. Like I, I was, it was funny. I tell people I was big when I came in, you're six, right. Two, six, yeah, two, you six, are. two, 
We were both big goalies at six two. But I'm not six two. I'm okay. barely six foot. <laughs> That's I'm what it said in the yearbook. Yeah, I know. I, know. <laughs> I, I, I you notice I never changed that. Right. I never brought that up. I was a big guy. I was a big, fairly big goalie when I came in. And by the time I left, like there might have been like one or two guys who were shorter than me. Everybody's six three, six four. I mean, the, it was it was amazing how much the games changed. And and how you see it too, especially when you get on the scouting side, how advantageous it is for guys with size. I almost forgot about this and didn't get to it, but the outdoor game specialist. Yeah. You played in three of them for three different teams at the point where there hadn't really been outdoor games. I think you played in like the first three. That first that first one in Edmonton, have you yeah. ever been colder in your life? What were the conditions like? I wasn't that cold necessarily. Theodore, was, Theodore makes it out like it was the coldest he's ever felt ever. Dude, it was cold. Well, he he was he thinks he was cold. He was getting all the work. Dude, <laughs> I was the other one watching him. I mean, you're from Alaska. You've got experience yeah. with this. It was um, I rem- I feel like I remember, and, and I could be making this up, but I feel like I remember them giving us a temperature that, like, hey, if it's this cold, we're not gonna we're gonna have to like postpone it to tomorrow. It's supposed to be a little bit warmer tomorrow. Like, all right. And they told us that like a day or two before. And I remember waking up and the game was maybe at memory serves me. It was at like five o'clock in the afternoon. And um, and they, they played, I know they played the alumni game, which was like Gretzky, Messier, Curry. uh, Fair was out there kicking. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Right. Like I was like, we all wanted to watch it. Um, I remember waking up at like nine o'clock in the morning turn the weather channel on obviously it had been cold too and the weather started for whatever reason i got it in st john's newfoundland so about as far east as you can go and it moved city by city westward until i got to edmonton it got colder every single city (laughs) every single city and i think it was it had to be minus 20 like at that time of the day and i walked i don't know two blocks I lived downtown. My wife and I lived in an apartment downtown and walked two blocks to grab some breakfast or something. It was freezing, man. Freezing. So I wasn't necessarily overly cold. My gloves and hands, my gloves got stiff, my hands got cold, but I could, we could replace them. We kind of like, I had two sets. The other set was sitting in, next to a heater in the, on the bench. So we could replace them whenever we wanted. The rest were like, hey, anytime you got to go over to the bench, just go over to the bench. Between blistles, we'll, we'll, we'll hold up and let you change stuff. So I was all right that way. Um, yeah, I mean, I wasn't, it wasn't awesome. It was wearing, it was more of it was wearing stuff underneath your gear that you're not used to wearing. So you don't feel right that way. That's what I was wondering. What did you put on to, to warm up? Like a neoprene suit, basically. I mean, it was just like, it wasn't neoprene. I'm not sure exactly what it was, but it was like whatever guys, the football team is Like you used to see Bruce Smith for the Bills wearing like the ski suit underneath his gear. Yeah. Well, I don't know, it was, whatever it was, it was, you know, it kept me warm. Um, but the other two, certainly they were still cool, but, you know, I could dress normally. Uh, you know, you just put like a t-shirt or a long, maybe instead of a short sleeve t-shirt, you put a long sleeve t-shirt, whatever you do. Uh, you dress a little bit more normally. Um, but yeah, it was cold. It was cold. I, was, I think it was probably worse than the people in the stands. How was the Pittsburgh game? That one was fun. It was fun. They were all fun. But that one was fun, unique. It was kind of like the first winter classic. It, you know, I mean, I know that the one up in Edmonton was the first outdoor game, but there was also a bit of a 
I mean, how many years between the next outdoor game? It's like five years. Yeah, it had been a bit. That well, was a real felt, one-off in Edmonton. It felt like it felt different. And then, um, you know, it went off so well. You know, the snow, yeah. while it wasn't great necessary for playing conditions, kind of like added to the ambiance. And, and you had a you had a special mask for it, if I remember right, too. And a helmet. Like helmet. that was kind of like the first wave of everybody dressing up for those games. I think, well, I think Ryan wore a hat on top of his helmet like Theodore did. Right. Right. Um, I never got it. I never did that. I must've just been, you know, no style on my own. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, that one. And then to have Sid score the shootout winner in, you know, it, it just, it just went so well um, that it was kind of hard. I, I remember driving to the rink with, I think I was probably going there with like Ryan Malone and um, oh Bugsy, and God, oh and man, and, and Whitney. But we got there, and um, I'm like, God, this must be what football players feel like coming in because we were there three, three and a half hours early, right? And the parking lot was stuffed, people drinking beers. They looked awesome. It was, they were tailgating like the Steelers game. Yeah, dude, it was like it was like it was like a buffalo, yeah, like a Buffalo Bills, like the Bills Mafia. We're already out. Um, so yeah, it was it was just it was just cool. It was just really neat. Did you expect Ryan Whitney to have all the success he's had, like with checklets and become this big media personality? Well, I'm not surprised. I don't know. You know, I, I see that he's he's. I, I don't necessarily follow that stuff that much, uh, but I know that he's doing really. I mean, he's been very successful. He's crushing uh, it. Yeah, I'm sure he is, but. Conks, he's got a he's got a, a vodka named after him in every single liquor store across North America. He's he's a unique kid. I like I like him. He's he's fun. Yeah, he was really fun in Pittsburgh. He's just a funny guy, you know. He's just like up for a good time all the time. Same way with Bugsy. I was with Malone in in uh, Tampa Bay. God, yeah, he was good. fun to be around. He's so the so the Detroit outdoor game, they're all fun for different reasons. There's another notorious moment. How'd the bathroom break go down? Well, that's the thing is, is like, I would take a, uh, I would go to the bathroom in the first, like the second or intermission, like it's halfway through the first period, pretty much every game I ever played. It's just like, I don't know if I never really got it down, like how much water to drink, how much water not to drink, when to take a leak. I don't know. I just, for whatever reason, I always had to go to the bathroom. That game is, I, you had, I hadn't drank as much, hadn't sweat as much, whatever it was. It like, it was like the third period. And it wasn't that far away. And I went, I mean, the, the breaks were like two and a half minutes. That Wrigley Field. The Wrigley Field. It probably looked odd, but nobody would have known if um, Panger hadn't said anything. No right. one would have known. And I would nice and quiet and just kept it to myself. And Panger had to wrap me up. What I, I want to know about it is that, did you get to piss in a trough? Because at Wrigley Field, they don't have urinals for the fans. Was it different underneath of the stadium where you were? It was, yeah, it was like an old urinal. Okay, man, that's kind of disappointing. That's right, the... it was, no, it was an old urinal because it was like in the, it was in the <laughs> bubbles. It was like what, like when you go down into the dugout. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about at baseball stadiums, those yeah. big troughs? Yeah. <laughs> I think that's one of Jimmy Bedard's favorite memories of you. Do you have any favorite ones of him? Of Jimmy? Mm-hmm. Jesus. It... Jimmy was, I don't know how, I don't know how. Longtime Detroit Red Wing goalie coach. He was with me in the Texas Stars a few years later. 
I could probably give you some offline. Um, he's just, I just remember him being so right and wrong in your corner as a goal, as a coach, like it was, it was crazy. Like he was always on your side, yep. even when you were playing poorly. And he would tell you when you weren't playing well, but I mean, he would go to bat for you. Like it, it was, it was, that's, that's when I talk about, you know, like coaches who are, who have been around, who have a lot of experience, you know, he could, he, he knew exactly what you're feeling all the time before you knew what you're feeling. It yep. was, it was great. So I learned a lot from him that way. He got me in the best mental state of my career. Yeah. Like when we were going, we were deep in a playoff run. We went to game seven in the Calder finals and nobody throughout my career got me in a better mental state to prepare for the game. Yeah. And it's funny. Cause like at one point I made a save through the year that I don't know whether I stacked it or it was upside down or what. And I was just jokingly, I was like, yep, went full peacock on that. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll never, and I'll never forget before game seven of this, of the Calder cup finals, Jimmy comes up to me to, he goes, Full peacock, Mikey. Just let him. And he's, by the way, I hate being called Mikey. He's like one yeah. of the few guys on earth I'll let say it. He's like, he goes, full peacock. You got to let those feathers fly. And, then, yeah. and I was like, so he got a laugh out of me. And he just like got me in the moment for it, man. Like, Yeah, that's good. That's good. Did, so oh. you, you, yeah, you, how, so it was just that one year with Jimmy you had? Just one. Yeah. Yeah, he's a good man. He's a good man. That season was the second time you saved my career. And I think, and I... I, I say this kind of facetiously, right? I don't think he actually really truly saved it, but there oh, were two I, moments so where your advice really helped me. And this one, I remember calling you up and I was just struggling, right? Like, and I, and I couldn't really figure it out because I felt like I was playing well, the goals were still going in and I was, I was just overdoing it. Right. I was overthinking. Mm -hmm. And you, at one point, again, you just deadpanned, you cut me off and you go, you need to go out there and just not give a fuck, man. Yeah. <laughs> and like, that was your advice. And, and well, I, for things that I've had somebody say to me, that's so like bang on to the point. Yeah. I use that all the time now with kids that I help that like, when you said that, what's the true meaning behind it? Well, I think the true meaning is that like, it, it is a game. And I don't know if you ever, if, if you ever think back, there's, there's, I, well, I can't think of any time that I was playing well and not having fun. And conversely, very few times that I was playing poorly and having fun, right? So totally agree. So uh, you know, I find that, and, I, and th what happened to me was I was really struggling. I can't even remember when it was in my career. There was one or two times, like where I was just really struggling, and uh, it got to the point where it's like, hey, it, you, you know, you've done everything you can to prepare. You know, you're uh, get all the bad, the bad. Um, uh, self-talk out of your head and just go out and have fun. And, you know, whatever happens, happens. That's kind of the way I, 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 you know, I, when I say, you know, you don't give a fuck, I don't really mean it that way, but you know, just go out and have fun. Right. It's kind of what I'm trying to get at. Um, and I believe this, this is from experience. I, I've been there, you know, where you just work yourself up so much and it, it's such a, it, it's such a hindrance on any, any type of performance. It's kind of hard to explain that to kids in some ways, because they hear that and they're like, what do you mean? You shouldn't care. And it's like, no, like we understand that you care, but you have to play like you just are completely free and you don't yeah. have anything else you're worrying about. It's just like, it's kind of like that clear the mechanism moment from that right. Kevin Costner baseball movie mm -hmm. where, you know, all you're focused on is just what's in front of you, you know? But I think it really does help to struggle. And, 
it, 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 it it's it's more impactful if you're struggling because you could say oh, I just don't care you know when everything's going well mm-hmm. not you know it's it's when it's when you're struggling and you can't really like you said you can't really pinpoint what the problem is right. you know you, you feel like you're preparing correctly uh, you feel like you know you're positionally you're you're in good spots I'm kind of just talking about goalies but it works for anybody in any position any sport really um, and it's just not happening for you you yeah. know so if you kind of just like relax a little bit and Maybe don't give quite as much of a fuck and it helps out. I'm glad it, I'm glad it worked for you. I mean, it, it changed my whole season. I went from, and that after we talked, I think it was like late November, beginning of November, I had the highest save percentage in the league for the rest of the year. Well, that's perfect. I was, I was swimming with like credit card numbers. And then I was like a 940 the rest of the year. And we went to the finals, best hockey I ever mm-hmm. played. You know, how did you like Austin? The best. Like, well, Portland, Maine, which, I mean, you know Portland pretty well. Portland, Maine, and Austin were my two favorite cities. Portland's a great spot. But if I had to actually, like, pick one of those two American League cities to live in, it'd be Austin. Really? <laughs> well, Portland's, like, I love Portland, but, man, it is cold a lot of the year. You know, so, Portland's like 50 miles north of me. <laughs> yeah, in Portsmouth. Yeah. Yeah. 2007-8, you're with the Pittsburgh Penguins. 2008-9, you're with the Detroit Red Wings. Like, yeah. two of the powerhouses in hockey. Does it sting? To have not gotten a cup? I, well, yeah. I mean, I thought we, I thought, I guess when I went from Pittsburgh to Detroit, I really realized how good that team was. Um, that team in Pittsburgh was outstanding, really good. The team in Detroit, man, it's just like the experience level was off the charts. I thought we were going to win for sure in, when I was in Detroit the second year. So did Marion Hosa. Um, yeah, I know. <laughs> right. Package I mean, I, deal. I know. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. You know, <laughs> I'd, I'd only go there if he came, but, um, but I, 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 yeah, I thought we were going to win for sure, but um, it was, you know, they're, they're great experiences. They're great experiences. It is, you know, a little bit of, it would be, it would have been nice for sure. Obviously that's the, 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 the big, big piece of pie obviously but um but you know like I was I was a I was kind of a um I was obviously the backup for all that stuff so it's not like I guess it's not like I had a lot of control over it unfortunately um and and sure nothing would have changed had I been net but um it was it was certainly like to have the uh, you know the opportunity to kind of like be that close to everything and, and see it up close like that the different ways every organization handled it too. Um, and all of them, you know, it's like Detroit was, it was amazing. It was like, it was, you might as well have been a regular season a lot of time. Guys ramp up their play, obviously, and the intensity ramps up, but the way guys acted was no different. I mean, it was clear they'd been there. You know, all those guys, you know, Draper, Malpe, Lidstrom, uh, Datsu, Zetterberg, all these guys, all these great players, uh, with so much experience, it's clear that it was like, you know, they were just used to it. There was used to that success. So hypothetical, if you had to face a breakaway, whether it was Datsuk or Crosby, which one would you rather face? I feel like as great of a player as Sid is, Pav has the opportunity to make me look worse is that, does that, does that make sense? That's who can make yeah. you look foolish. You might end up in the corner and he's got a layup. 
Was he as like just as sick in practice as games, Datsuk? He's amazing. Yeah, he was one of. I mean, it's just such a skilled guy and uh, hard worker. So, I mean, really. I mean, he was on the ice, you know, late every day. Worked hard in the gym. Um, guy was a, a you know f- consummate professional. Always prepared. Always ready. Yeah, and he was stronger than he looked too. Yeah, he was. A, he was a great player. He was a great player. Lidstrom. It was unbelievable. Must have been nice to play behind him, huh? Amazing. It's like you, they go an entire season. It didn't feel like he ever made a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> he never got that hit. Whole team, that whole that whole team. There were so many guys like that. You know, I mean, um, guys had just been so good for so long. You know, I was really lucky to play with a lot of really really good hockey players in my career, um, and guys who just, you know accomplished so much but you know works they all worked so hard for it so i always liked your sense of humor i've admired that about you and i think that really came through during your time in st louis like there was i think there were facebook groups dedicated to it there were memes floating around about it but you had like it was ty conklin's hat was literally like a thing in st louis where you wore this retro blues hat you had a fu manchu going at the time your style was off the charts you just needed a backup towel to complete the ensemble i feel Uh, like i got the backup towel once in a while okay so you you carried that tradition where the hell did you find that hat in st louis wasn't my hat it was it was oshi's hat i think i think it was oshi's hat i think it was tj's hat and i just wore it because i had a like a god-awful ugly mustache and <laughs> what I, was the inspiration for that? I I had a beard before and I just <laughs> just wanted to run it. <laughs> there was no real inspiration, you know. I I I think if you notice most of the times anytime I had that, they didn't last very long. My wife would only allow it for a couple of days and she's like, you gotta get rid of it. Uh you're but your teammates me. loved it. Yeah. I, I was lucky I could I could grow I could grow a mustache and I could grow a beard. That hat was sick though. Like when you put that thing on, were you feeling it? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I kind of felt it all the time, but, but yeah, that hat definitely <laughs> yeah, that hat helped. Um, it was only for a little bit though. I don't know what happened to it. I think I just, I think I shaved my mustache and then Osh was like, no, it's, it's not the same. You can't have it anymore. So last year you go back to the Detroit organization. Did you have any inkling that it might potentially be your last season? Were you starting to feel the clock winding down at that point? Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. Big time. St. Louis, my second year hadn't played a lot. Um, and then, um, that, that not playing a lot carried over into, uh, Detroit and it just kind of, I, I didn't feel confident at all, all year long. Um, so I wasn't necessarily surprised. I mean, I, I was, I was pretty sure that, halfway through the year that it was, I wasn't, you can, you can have a poor year. It feel, I feel like in the NHL one year and get another job. But if you start having multiple poor years as a guy who goes from city to city, you're just going to, you're not, you're going to run out of, run out of chances. Yeah. And, um, and, and I think that's where I got. Um, but I, it wasn't necessarily a physical thing as it was. I just wasn't playing at all. Cause when I went to the minors that year, I think, you know, probably with like a month or two left in the season, I played well. You know, I, I got some games in, under my belt and I, and I play well. Um, Grand Rapids is a fun place to play. Good place to play. Great city. Yep. Shockingly good city. Undercover good city. You ever been yeah. to the Bob? You've probably been to the Bob. I have. I have. Yeah. Um, and then um, played well and went back up and played well when I went back up. 
So I mean, it was more of a, it was, it was more of a, um, you know, I actually, it's funny. I actually look back on that night. I remember thinking, you know, if I knew then what I knew, knew now, I think at the beginning of that year, I would have, and it's in it. The problem is it puts a, puts a burden on the club, but from a, per, you know, from a selfish standpoint, personal standpoint, probably good to go down and play, you know, every month or two when you're not, when you're only playing three times a month, two times a mm-hmm. month, play a couple of games down the minors. It's hard to get your, you know, ego to accept that. Yeah. Probably for a lot of guys, but um, long run might keep you in the league for a year or two more. Would have kept me in the league for a year or two more. I so when did you know for sure? When were you ready to step away from the game? Oh, I, oh, I, um, so the next year was lockout, right? 12, 13 was, yeah. yeah. 12, 13 was lockout. So, um, and it started up and, I, and that's right. It was, it was difficult for me to get a job in Europe because I was looking to play in Europe the following year. Populated market. <laughs> right. Exactly. Like the market was yep. flooded. He was waiting for, I don't know, Henrik Lundqvist and, you know, Roberto Luongo would have come play for their team. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll come all year long. Um, and, but I, but I was, I was being more picky on where I wanted to play than I should have been. I probably should have just gone somewhere, but in any event, um, league started up. And I think I, I set a date for like middle, middle of February, like right around now. I said, if I don't have a job in now, I'm going to go on a ski trip. I had a bunch of buddies from Minnesota. We're going out to Montana, going skiing. So if, uh, if I don't have a job, then I'll go skiing and that'll be it. And I went skiing. Which for a hockey player is amazing because we usually don't go skiing during the season. I'll get to go skiing. So uh, went out there with some buddies for four, three, four, five days. And that was it. And, um, and then it was that year that I came down and I was skiing with you yeah. in, uh, in Peoria. That's right. And, uh, Doug called me that year. And um, because when they started up, Corey Hirsch, uh, was kind of like bouncing. He, he was mostly in Peoria and then he started bouncing too much and you didn't have much help down there. Yeah. Jake and I, Jake Allen and myself were there and we were kind of on our own and doing our own goalie coaching. <laughs> yeah. So I came down and, um, at that point, I mean, I wasn't a whole lot of help, I'm sure. Um, but I just come down and, you know, it's nice to have somebody down there spending time with you. hundred percent. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And then it went on for like four or five years and, you know, did that stuff with the blues, which is fun too. When you look back at your career, what, what are you most proud of? Mm, well, definitely most proud of, you know, like playing at the highest levels for sure. Um, and for longer than I guess I would have ever expected. Um, I felt like I had some really good years. I had some tough years, but I think um, I'm about as proud of making it back to the NHL after, you know, early success and then early struggles and then having to go back and kind of like reinvent myself and get myself back in the NHL. And then for three or four or five years being, you know, pretty effective. Um, so I, I think, yeah, you I mean, I, I think for everybody um, working through those difficult times and, you know, kind of like succeeding after is, is, is a pretty, you know, it's, that's what you want to see out of your kids is, you know, you know, them put that work in and, and, you know, you, they see the fruits of that work too. So I think I'm as, I'm as proud of that as anything, I would say. Probably saving my career a couple of times ranks yeah, up that there. So. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a close <laughs> second for sure. Man, this has been fun. Thanks for taking yeah. an hour of your day to do this. Oh, it was my pleasure. It's nice to see you again.
Big thanks to Ty Conklin for joining the show, the man who twice saved my career. If you enjoy Six Degrees, please subscribe and rate in iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to all your podcasts. If you're interested in advertising on Six Degrees, please contact Believe at BLEAV.com. As always, you can find me at Mike McKenna56 on all the socials, and make sure to check out at McKenna in game on Twitter. Do live breakdowns of games across the NHL on occasion. Those are a lot of fun. So thanks again for listening to Six Degrees with Mike McKenna. See you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.